You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. We're starting a new sermon series this week called Sunday Classics. I almost said Classic Faith, and I knew I was going to mess it up. Uh, Sunday Classics. And uh, talking about stories, uh, predominantly from the Old Testament, uh, depending on your background, maybe stories you learned about as a kid. Maybe you went to Sunday school and you heard some of these stories. And uh, for some of you, these stories will be familiar. Some of you, maybe not so much. Maybe you haven't heard this story or you heard a little bit about it, but not like we're going to look at it this morning. But I want to look at stories from God's Word about real people, some of them who lived a long time ago, like this morning's story. But God, the same God that we serve, the same God that we deal with, was dealing with them. And so we can learn principles and precepts from for our life, from their life. And so this morning we want to look at Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, all the way back, the first book in the Old Testament, and we want to look at the this man named Abraham. And so if you know anything about Abraham, He's a very important character in Scripture. Uh, Abraham was, was a guy who God came to and said, listen, I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your family, and I'll show you where you're going to go. And I'm going to take you, and I'm going to make out of you a great nation. I'm going to make out of you a strong nation, and your descendants will be an entire uh, people group, an entire country, and I'm going to give you an area that you're going to possess and you're going to own, but I need you to follow me. And so Abraham did that. Abraham had a wife. His name was, her name was Sarah. They didn't have any children. They tried to circumvent that. Abraham, uh, with Sarah's suggestion, had a, had a child with uh, Sarah's uh, servant, Hagar. His name was Ishmael. But God said, that was not the plan. I told you I'm going to make of you a great nation. And so when Abraham was an old man and Sarah was an old woman, both of them well past the age that they should be having kids. I saw this week about a famous star whose girlfriend is pregnant. He was 83. That, it's too old. It's just, I, I'm 53, that's too old. Abraham was over 100 years old. God did a miraculous thing. And he had a son and his name was Isaac. As the two boys grow together, uh, it becomes an untenable situation, and so God tells Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael away because Isaac is the promised child. And that brings us to the story that takes place in Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse number 1, where it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. And God said this, Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. God comes to Abraham and says, that son who you love, and he says in this passage, your only son. Now we know that Abraham had another son. 
But Ishmael had been sent away. He was never going to see him again. He said, take this son who you love so much, who is the promise, he's the object of the promise that I gave to you. You're going to take him up on a mountain and you're going to kill him. You're going to sacrifice him. Now, when we read that, and if you know the end of the story, you're like, well, that's against the nature of God. God would not have us sacrifice our children. And to be clear, just in case, just so there's no confusion, uh, I'll say it to the live stream camera, God would not have you sacrifice your children. Um, okay? Uh, that, that's true. But think about when, where this is in Scripture. This is Genesis chapter 22. Moses hasn't been born yet. There's no law. We, we don't have the Ten Commandments. This is early in the life of the earth, uh, in, in, in life of mankind. It's just after the flood, and people are worshiping all kinds of gods, all kinds of things, doing all kinds of things. Abraham is following Jehovah God, the true God, but he's still learning about him. And he says to Abraham, go take your son and sacrifice him. Now, it's interesting what he says here, right? He says, go to Moriah. Go to this this place, this mountain called Moriah. Now, again, this is early on. There weren't a lot of settlements, and this would have been a wilderness place. But today, the mountain of Moriah is not really, there's no open space there. It's all developed. See, in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1, we see the mountain again. So Solomon, son of David, the, the, the king of, of Israel, began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Where the Lord had appeared to David his father, the temple was built on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, the site that David had selected. And so the city of Jerusalem, which my wife and I had the privilege of being there uh, just a couple of weeks ago, it, there's hills around, there's mountains around. And one of those is Mount Moriah. And today, that doesn't really look, to be honest, didn't look like to me like a mountain. It's kind of an elevated place, but it's all built up. Why? Because that's where the temple was. Now there's the Dome of the Rock and, and the Western Wall where the Jews still work, uh, worship and the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where, where Christians come because they believe that that's where the tomb of Jesus is and it may well be. But all of these things have been built on this mountain where God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and where later the temple would be built and the mercy seat would be and sacrifices would be made for the sins of the people. And we know later the Son of God would hang in crucifixion and sacrifice himself for the sins of the world and the veil of the temple would be rent in two and no more sacrifices would need to be made because the ultimate sacrifice had taken place. We know all that looking back. 
But Abraham knew none of that. Matter of fact, he would see none of that. He wouldn't see Jerusalem built. He wouldn't see the temple. He certainly wouldn't see Jesus Christ crucified, not in his lifetime. His faith was being tested. And so we want to learn this morning how to have obedience faith. And the first thing I see is this. We need to expect tests from God. Who doesn't love a good test? Some of you are probably in college, on your summer break, right? What you want to be reminded of is tests. I remember my freshman year of college, I took history of Western civilization. The professor who taught that was a retired Marine Corps lawyer. He taught history because it was his hobby, and he taught it with no notes. We would try to ask him questions to trip him up, and he always had the answer. His, te- his class was very simple. He would lecture every day. You would come and take notes. He, he gave four tests. He averaged them together. That was your grade. You blew a test. You consider dropping the class. Yeah, it was a great time. No pressure. Most of the time, we don't like to be tested. Now, maybe you're here and you're one of those people who you know when you know the answers and you like to be tested so that you can show that you know that you know the answer. We don't like you. I'm just kidding. But the Bible says that God tested Abraham's faith, and we need to expect tests from God. We need to learn to discern between trials or tests and temptations. James chapter 1 and verse 12 says this, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action and when sin is allowed to grow it gives birth to death. So don't be misled my dear brothers and sisters. What he, what James is saying is listen, there's a d- difference between testing or trials and temptation. When you have a desire to do something that is wrong and and you follow after that, you can't be saying, well, God is testing me. No, that is you and your own sinful, selfish desires. But sometimes God does come and bring trials and testing in our life. And we need to discern the difference. It's interesting, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 says this, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Verse 13 says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. The Bible says about Jesus that he was in all points tempted as we are. Temptation 
is a universal thing. Now, the sin that I might be more inclined to give into temptation with might be different than the sin you might be inclined to give into temptation, but all of us deal with temptation. But trials oftentimes seem more individualized. Testing sometimes seems more individualized. It certainly was for Abraham. I cannot relate at all to what God was asking of Abraham. One, I didn't have or haven't had or don't plan on having or think it's medically possible for me to have a child when I'm 100. And two, I don't think God's going to come and say, get wood and a fire and go to a mountain and sacrifice your son. But that doesn't mean God won't test my faith. And it doesn't mean that God won't test your faith. You see, knowing Christ, walking with God, often requires suffering. That's not a message and an idea that we normally lead with as Christians, is it? I mean, what do we talk about? Listen, the gospel is, if, if you will receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, God will forgive you of all your sin. He'll give you life abundant, according to John chapter 10. He'll give you life eternal. He'll take you, he'll prepare for you a heavenly home. Listen, if, if, you, if you believe and put your trust in Jesus, he'll be a, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's always with you. We, we often emphasize the positive aspects of walking with Christ. And rightfully so. They are, are certainly much more than the negatives, but that doesn't mean that there's no suffering. Paul said this in Philippians chapter three. I want to know Christ. Keep this verse up here for a second for me, Dale. Look at this. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That'll preach, amen? Who doesn't want to know Christ and know the power? How much power? The power that raised him from the dead. And then he says, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. See, we want to focus on the resurrection, but before Jesus Christ could rise from the dead, he had to die. I'll say that again because it was so profound. Before Jesus could rise from the dead, he had to, right? And that death was excruciating. He goes on in verse 11 and says, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. All of the things that I mentioned about walking with Christ are true. He does forgive us. He, does, he is a companion to us. He does give us eternal life. It is the greatest life that we could have to follow after Jesus, but Jesus was also a man of suffering. And to be like Christ, to walk with Christ, sometimes means we will endure trials, testings, and sufferings. 
Matter of fact, one writer put it like this. He said, our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable, to do what seems unreasonable, and expect what seems impossible. And so we should expect that our faith would be tested. Not only that, we need to focus on promises. So God comes to Abraham. He says, I want you to go to Mount Moriah. And then in verse 3, it says this. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. He obeyed right away. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there. Then we will come right back. Look at that verse again. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there. Then who's coming back? We. He didn't say, we're going to go up and I'm going to come back. He said, we're going to go up and we're going to come back. But what did God told him to do? He told him to sacrifice his son. But Abraham had learned a lesson. And he learned it in the birth of Isaac. That when God makes a promise, you can count on God's promise, even if you don't understand how it's going to happen. See, God gave the promise of, of a great nation and his descendants to Abraham pretty early. And God, Abraham probably figured, well, how is God going to do this? Maybe he's going to give me a bunch of children. And that God's just going to start the process right here. But that's not what God did. God gave him one child, one son of promise. And he did it. Late in life. Too late, seemingly. But when God makes a promise, he always fulfills it. But many times not in the way we think. And so if we're going to have real faith, faith that stands up to testing, we've got to focus on the promises, not always on the explanations. Abraham didn't know exactly what God was going to do, but he knew that Isaac was the son of promise. And so he believed that God was going to do what he was going to do, even if he didn't see how it was going to happen. That's not always the way we focus, though, is it? Something bad happens, what do we usually focus on? Why, God? Why? Why is this happening? Or why is this happening to me? Like, it's okay that it's happening, but why me? But that's not always the right question. I've mentioned this before, and if you like this phrase, I, I, I don't, I don't want to offend you, but oftentimes in times of death or difficulty, people will say something like, everything happens for a reason. I hate that phrase. I'm just telling you, just me personally, of course everything happens for a reason. 
But you may never know what that reason is. Listen, there are things in my life that have taken place and I can see how God has worked through those things and and I can see uh, in some regards what God was doing, but I still don't like it and I don't fully believe it was necessary. I'm just telling you the truth. Now, maybe I'll get to heaven and God will reveal some kind of master plan to me and I'll go, oh, of course, that's the way it had to work. I don't know, but... Listen, what I do know is I've got to trust in him. He is wiser than I am. And he said he loves me. And so I have to believe that and trust in that even when I don't feel it. I've got three kids. I'm a dad, but I also was a kid. Maybe you remember a time. I, I Listen, I was always getting hurt somewhere, somehow. You ever get a splinter? And it just, like, it's in there. And maybe you, maybe you see it and you just try to, maybe you try to flick it out or grab it or get it with your teeth and it doesn't work. It just goes farther in. You know what I'm talking about? Like you remember as a kid getting a splinter and it hurting. Maybe I'd even shed a tear or two. I'd go to my mom, get the splinter out. And then she'd get a pair of tweezers or sometimes even have to get a little knife to cut a little bit. And it always hurt worse. And I remember, I remember looking at her being like, you don't understand. I'm in pain. I want to be in less pain. Not, but you're making me in more pain. But what? Sometimes that's what's required to get the splinter out. We understand that in the concept of a splinter. But sometimes we endure some things in our life that doesn't seem fair. Doesn't seem like God loves us. And we want an explanation. But God provides promises. He says, I do love you. I am working to form you in the image of my son. But sometimes we feel like that's not good enough. But Abraham did not ask for an explanation. He he relied on the promises of God. God does work. And I want to give you just a couple of explanations sometimes for our testing. Sometimes God tests us to purify our faith. First Peter chapter one, verses six and seven says, so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So sometimes our our testing and trials, it purifies our faith. Sometimes testing and trial perfects or matures our character. James 1, uh, verses 2 through 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. 
For when, you endure, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect or mature and complete, needing nothing. Sometimes God sends trials and testing to protect us from sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is a familiar passage. The apostle Paul had some kind of a, of a physical deformity. He, he called it a thorn in the flesh. Not literally a thorn or a splinter, but something that just kept bothering him. Many scholars believe it was something to do with his eyes. But in verse 7, he says, even though I received such wonderful revelation from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh. Now he goes on and says, on three different occasions, I specifically and emphatically prayed that God would deliver me. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you. I want you to have this difficulty. Paul was an apostle. Paul was, there were times when Paul would heal people and yet he was enduring a physical affliction. And why did he have it? He said, God gave it to me so I wouldn't become prideful. Paul understood eventually why he was enduring what he was enduring. And God was keeping him from sin because of the affliction, the trial that he was going through. Listen, I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't want to make light of it. I, I, listen, I know we have people in, in our congregation who are struggling with physical difficulties, who are dealing with, with some things in their relationships that are, that are unbelievable. But I want to tell you that we may or may not ever fully have an explanation, but God has given us his promise. And sometimes we just can only hold on to that. Abraham believed God's promise. In, in chapter 21, God had specifically told Abraham, he said, listen, you've got to send Hagar and Ishmael away. That is not that, that son is not the fulfillment of my promise. It is in Isaac. He called Isaac his son of promise. In, chapter, in, in, in verse 5 of chapter 22, he says, The boy and I will travel, we will worship, and we will return. Hebrew gives us, Hebrews gives us some insight as to what Abraham was thinking. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17, it says this, it was by faith. Hebrews 11, of course, is this great chapter on faith, right? By faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Isaac, by faith, all of these people did all of these things. And here it says in verse 17, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his own son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned, verse 19 said, that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again, and in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So Hebrews says that one of Abraham's thoughts was, I'm going to come up here. I'm going to kill my son with a knife. That's what was going to happen. That's how sacrifices were performed in those days. 
And then God will miraculously raise him again. Now, God certainly has the power to do that. That's amazing faith, isn't it? Also, not how God worked. Right? I find that in my life. I'll be dealing with a situation, maybe a testing. And I'll think, okay, I believe this is from God, or I, I believe God is allowing this in my life, and so I'm going to have faith. I believe God's going to do what he said he's going to do. I believe in God's promise, and I think God's going to work this way. I think God is often amused by what I think. Not by the jokes that I make. He's probably rarely amused by those. But I think he, when I have serious thoughts and think, I bet God's going to do this, God probably goes, you are way wrong. You couldn't be more off. And sometimes, sometimes it's because God has worked a certain way in the past, right? You ever have that? You deal with a situation God provides in a certain way and a similar situation comes up and you think, I bet God's going to do what he did before. And then sometimes he does something completely different. That's what happened in Genesis 22 and verse 6. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire, the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Isaac's been traveling three days. They've been talking about making a sacrifice. But now they've left the servants and the animals because it's Isaac that's carrying the wood. His dad's got a torch and a knife and Isaac's doing inventory. Wood, check. Fire to light the wood, check. Knife to kill the sacrifice, check. Animal for the sacrifice. Hmm. And if it's not the animal for the sacrifice, what's the sacrifice? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Isaac showed some faith too because I'm not sure a hundred-year-old man could overpower Isaac at that point, he was probably in his late teens. I might have shared this before, but when I was a boy growing up in church, we did a play and depicted this scene. And I played the part of Isaac. I, didn't, I don't even remember if I had any lines. But I remember I laid down and another guy, an older boy, played the part of Abraham. And so he had the fake stick on beard and he was wearing his bathrobe and a towel over his head because you know the uniform, right? But what he did have was a real buck knife, one of those big ones, right? 
And the, the way this was supposed to go is he was going to stand there and in dramatic fashion raise the knife above his head, preparing to plunge it into my chest. But before he did, the angel was going to come from behind. He's wearing the white robe, has the, you know, gold Christmas garland halo on. You guys have seen the plays, right? And he's going to grab the guy's wrist and, and he's going to recite the lines and he's going to save me. It's going to be very dramatic. And all I could think of is he's going to do this. The angel's going to do this. It's going to surprise him and he's going to go, ah. Yeah, that did not happen. But the whole time I was really, I mean, I was in the spirit. I am praying, Lord. We don't, we want to depict what happened, not what could have happened. <laughs> I've spoiled it for you. He picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. A couple of things I want you to see here as we begin to wrap this up. Number one, God provides in his timing. God provides in his timing. Notice what happened. He tied him up. He laid him on the altar. He picked up the knife. And then God said, don't lay a hand on him. Remember when the Abraham's descendants, those who had gone into Egypt and become slaves, and God takes them out through the leadership of Moses, they go into a desert place, and they're thirsty. And what does God do? He provides water from a rock when they need it most. And then he begins to feed them with manna. You remember that story? And when would they get the manna? Every day, just enough. God provided every day, but he only provided that day what they needed, except on Friday that he provided twice as much so they would have it for the Sabbath. What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread, right? But that's not what most of us want. We would like our weekly bread or our monthly bread, right? We would like to know that our bread is going to come in. But that's not how Jesus instructed his followers to pray. He said, pray for your daily bread. Pray for what you need right now. Because as believers, we're to walk by faith. And we like that word, we like that phrase, but we don't like that action. Because if I'm praying for my daily bread, that means that today, I don't have it yet. 
I'm not praying for tomorrow's bread. I'm praying for this, what I need right now. And God, I need it right now. I'm hungry now. I have a need now. But God provides in his time. And oftentimes that's farther than our time. Some of you, you're looking for something from God and you think he's overdue. Can I tell you he's not? You just don't understand his timing. But God provides in his timing. Not only that, but God provides where he assigns. We read that, right? God said, hey, Abraham, what I need you to do, I need you to go to this mountain of Moriah. Took him three days to get there. Did you, did you think about the whole, I, I was just meditating on this this week, the whole exercise that took place here. The Bible says that Abraham chopped wood. Abraham had to load an animal. He got a couple of servants together. They must have packed. They would have had to take food and provisions. They traveled for three days. That means you're walking all day. You're camping at night. You're doing it the next day and the day after. And even after God provided a ram, it was going to take him three days to get back. They go all the way up the mountain. He builds the altar. He ties up Isaac. He gets right to the point. But God wanted him to worship right there on Mount Moriah. The Jews would later understand that when they built the temple and they understood the sacrifices that were made and the very first sacrifice made there was of a ram caught in a thicket provided by God. And we understand that because later the lamb of God would be sacrificed there. And so this isn't just a story that happened thousands of years ago on the other side of a world to a guy that has no relationship to us. It is the precursor. It is the image of what God did for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God provides in his timing and in his place. Place is often important to us. About eight years ago, we moved from one house to another, and it was funny because it seemed like for at least a year after that, every time we would be down south, which is where our old house was, our, our daughter, our youngest daughter would say, hey, can we go by our old house? She just wanted to drive by. She just wanted to see that place. And if you move towns and you go back and visit that town, what do you often do? You want to go back to a place. And God provides where he wants to provide. And he provides through his power. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Listen, God's power is available to us. So much so that Abraham, as he's walking up that hill, thinks, I may have to kill Isaac, but God can raise him from the dead. 
Because that's what often happens sometimes, doesn't it? It seems like testing or trials or sufferings in our life have gone too far. The relationships are beyond repair. That something is wrecked beyond the ability for it to be put back together. But God, in his timing, in his place, in his power, can do far beyond what we could ever imagine. It may look very different than we think it's going to look, but God will show himself mighty. I just want to wrap up quickly by bringing this to God's provision of a Savior. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9 says this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, Abraham's faith was tested. Abraham offered his son Isaac, but Isaac did not have to be sacrificed. Why? Because at, in God's timing, God said, don't sacrifice your son, sacrifice this, this ram. Sacrifice this lamb. And we, who the Bible says are born dead in our trespasses and our sins. We don't like to think of ourselves that way. Certainly we don't go and look at a newborn and think, oh, that newborn is a sinner. We don't even use language like that. What happens if you see someone's new baby, you say things like, oh, he's perfect. Oh, she's perfect. First of all, they're rarely perfect. And even if they are perfect, they're not perfect. They're sinners. It doesn't take long for that to show itself. And certainly in your life, you know you're a sinner. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It's eternal judgment in hell. But before you have to endure that, God said, don't make that sacrifice. I will sacrifice my son. Take this lamb. Take this one who is perfect and without sin, and he will die in your place. And I will raise him again by my power to show victory over sin and death that if you will receive him, your sins can be forgiven. You can have life abundant and life eternal. This is what God has done for us. This is why the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac or being willing to sacrifice Isaac is so applicable to us. Because it's a picture of what God the Father did through Jesus Christ for you and me. Romans chapter 4, talking about this story, says this. Verse 20, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. 
And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for a benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. This, in Genesis chapter 22, is a picture of the gospel to come, and we have the benefit of seeing this story from from the perspective of thousands of years, of understanding that what God started on Mount Moriah in, in, in testing of Abraham, God completed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what God has done for us. Has there been a time and a place where you've asked God to forgive you of the wrong things that you've done? I don't know the exact date. I know I was six years old. And I know that if you drive right across Kipling and right up on Green Mountain and you go to 931, was that it, Mom? I think she doesn't remember. I'm almost positive because I have driven by it. 931 South Briarwood Drive. I remember that street. I lived there as a boy when I was six. I remember my parents had the back bedroom. I know it was the back bedroom because it had a beautiful picture window. I broke that one once. I remember kneeling beside my parents' bed. I remember the turquoise bedspread. I remember that place where my mother led me in a sinner's prayer, and I asked Jesus Christ to forgive me. And on that day, I was, according to John chapter 3, I was born again. My sins were forgiven. I would certainly sin after that. But it was on that day that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was applied to me. Has there been a time and a place where that is true for you? And if not, that time can be today and that place can be right here. If you will just in your heart, in faith, cry out to God and ask him to forgive you and receive the salvation that he offers through the grace of Jesus Christ. Maybe you just need to be reminded today. Maybe you're going through a testing and you need to hold on to the promise of God even if you don't have an explanation about why or what it is that God is really doing. I want to close this morning with Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. 20 and 21, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And God, that is our desire and our prayer. Lord, we would ask that you would be glorified in us God, give us strength and patience and faith.
to endure trials and testings when they come. God, help us, give us discernment to understand the difference between trials and our own temptations. God, help us to hold on to the promises that you have given to us, even when we can't see them, even when we don't feel them. Help us to remember that you are a God who always keeps his promises. And Lord, if there's somebody here today that does not know you as their Savior, God, I pray that even as I am praying, they would pray and cry out to you, God asking you to forgive them and putting their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. May you be glorified and honored in our lives this week. In his name we pray, amen.